This is uh, the word of the Lord. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah on the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out to it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The people, uh, are, excuse me, the word, of the, uh, the, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and with himself and clothed himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he proclaimed uh, and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them be called out or call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. What I notice here is that it's important that we not look at this particular section out of context. I think it's important to notice here this morning that the first verse of this chapter says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Which implies that something had happened before this time. Uh, And if we know the story of Jonah, you know that as soon as God had come to him the first time and said, I need you to go to Nineveh and I need you to say this great word to them, this this uh, uh, judgment word that says basically your city is going to be overthrown. I need you to go and tell them. And of course, no, Jonah being a great prophet and awesome and all of, and obedient in everything he did, did the one thing he shouldn't have and ran away. And I keep thinking of Monty Python and the Holy Grail where one of the characters goes up to danger and then turns and runs away and his minstrel Behind him, he sings the song, says, he ran away, he ran away. And I keep thinking of that as, as Jonah's like, uh, I'm out. And you can see he runs. He says he goes, so Nineveh's over here, and Jonah's like, I'm going the other way. And so he goes the other way, and we know that if you read chapters 1 and 2, we find out that he gets on a boat, and he thinks he can go to the far side of the sea, but then a storm catches up with them, and everybody's like, what did we do wrong? And Jonah's like, it's my fault. And they're like, great, overboard you go. And so they throw him overboard, and, and he lands in the, in the sea, and, and it says that some great fish or whale or whatever it was swallows him, and he spends all these days, these three days, inside the belly of a fish, uh, somehow, miraculously, and then the fish vomits him onto the sand, and eventually he gets to the point that maybe I shouldn't have run away to begin with. Maybe all this time of running, I should have just done what I was supposed to do. And so here, Jonah at the end of it says, um, uh, Jonah at the end of it hears God's word again. The patience of God. When God gets his person, he doesn't just let him go when they run away. It just doesn't work that way. So Jonah here receives the word of the Lord again a second time. And Jonah now, in a moment of surrender after having his life basically almost over, gets a second chance to do what God asks him to do. So Jonah goes to this great city, which is a huge city in those days. And he goes and he stands there uh, and he goes, he says, it's three days breadth. So he goes about a third of the way. 
which I find interesting because if we have, if you have children, you know that sometimes they just do things halfway. They do things just enough not to get in trouble anymore. And I think that's what Jonah kind of does here. He kind of goes, okay, all right. So he gets up there and like, you're going to die. And then he keeps going and he keeps walking away. I mean, obviously the message is, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This huge city is going to come to this gigantic calamity. And I think somewhere in deep inside of Jonah, he hopes that it comes to pass. Because Nineveh was not friendly with Israel. They weren't buddy buddies. They weren't like great neighbors. They're like that neighbor who paints their house pink out of spite. You hope that the HOA comes after them and finds them into oblivion. You hope that's what they do. And instead, what that, that neighbor does is they park their car on the lawn and they do auto mechanic class right there in front of you. And then they play loud music. They're, this is the kind of, this is how Jonah views Nineveh. And so deep down inside, I believe he really, really, really wants God just to come. He's like, I'm just going to go camp out here for 40 days and watch the fireworks gleefully. But what happens? The exact opposite. If anything, this particular uh, uh, book is a study in opposites. And Nineveh responds in a way that Jonah did not anticipate at all. When they hear this message, they are not like, oh, get out of here, we're Nineveh, we're impervious, we're invincible. No, what they heard was, oh gosh, we better get our stuff in line. Clearly, we don't want our lives stand. Clearly, we don't want this terrible tragedy to come upon us. And there's a citywide fast there's like a self-humiliation. They're like, oh gosh, we've done really, really bad stuff. And so we've got to fix this somehow. And it says there, they believed God. I love that line in here. Jonah comes and announces this great calamity. And the first thing that they do is Nineveh believed God. They believed the message that was coming. They're like, the doom is here. It's like when you look at AccuWeather and it says a great storm is coming. And many of us go, that's wrong. Clearly your name is incorrect in AccuWeather because AccuWeather is never Accu. It's just weather. And sometimes it's not correct. But this time they believed the forecast and they repented. And the king even goes so far as not just people, but animals. Nothing in this city is going to uh, act like we actually uh, uh, deserve anything we have. Everything is fasting. Because maybe, maybe, maybe by our actions and by our faith, God will turn from this calamity that he's promised us. We don't want to die. We know that we probably deserve it. And we know that, that deep down inside, we know that we, are, we should receive this exact thing that we're going to receive. Let's go ahead and, and fast. There's this posture of remorse that you find with the Ninevites, which is remarkable. It's this genuine and complete thing. It's not just like, oh, well, we heard the prophet last week and he came doom and gloom. So we've got our sackcloth already out. We're just going to put it on for a couple hours and then we're good, right? No, this is this deep down, oh man, I've been called to the floor. My soul is bared, you know, before God and he knows everything. I cannot, I can't move off this thing. I'm caught. It's a posture of remorse, as I said, regret and repentance. And there's this hope that God would relent. And what happens? That very thing. That's amazing what God says here at the very end. He says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. Which is really, really strange. 
And I'll get to this in a moment, but can God be moved by what I do? I mean, it says here in, in other translations that God repented, which is even more bizarre for us. We're like, well, if God is God, why does he have to have any excuse for what he does? And how, how is that possible that God can re- relent, you know? And especially to a foreign people. Think of that for a moment. God's grace is constantly on Israel. And, God, and Israel is constantly in the reception of all of God's mercy and grace and all this. But God's focus is on a foreign people that have no, in, not in touch with God at all, have none of his favor. And yet they repent and God has mercy on them. God has responded to Nineveh's actions and posture with mercy and compassion. God pulls back. He, and it says he, he powers down his you know, overthrowing powers and says, I'm backing off. Look what they just did. He looked at their hearts and said they believed. And I don't think that surprised God at all, but I sure as heck surprised Jonah. Jonah's like, well, wait a minute. I was here for the movie. I popped the popcorn. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to watch the fireworks. And God's like, no, no, no. Stand down, little warrior person. You know, chill out, relax. If we go on to chapter four, we find out that Jonah gets angry about God's compassion and mercy. He's like, wait a minute. I was all amped up for you to blow him away. It's like Marvin the Martian. Where's the kaboom? Where's the earth shattering kaboom? Nineveh. Oh, darn. You know, we don't get that. What we get is the mercy of God. And that just cheeses off Jonah. Jonah is just angry. And we read later on, you find out more about how God treats him. But what's the point? I mean, clearly we're not Israel, right? And clearly we don't have a city that we're aware of that we would like to see blown up. Well, maybe you do, but I, maybe we talk about that later. But wh- what is the point that God is saying to us here? Here's what I think. I think God is moved compassionately by our responses to his mercy. I think that God himself can be moved when we find ourselves in a spot where we're laid out and we're exposed and we repent and God backs off. And rather showing wrath or violence or extreme judgment, God simply bears his heart and says, I'm so glad, come home. This is very much prodigal son story territory. You notice that when the prodigal son does come home, The prodigal son says, I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son uh, and make me like one of your hired servants. And the father's like, no, I won't have it. You're my son. Come home. Let's party. In a way, God is saying that to them, to the Ninevites. He's saying, you may not be Israel national, but you are still humanity. You are still people created in my image and I will have mercy on who I will have mercy. And God is moved by or towards compassion by our responses to his mercy here's what i think i think god is often patient with his messengers he is moved with compassion towards his messengers look at what happens to jonah jonah runs away god doesn't smite him he doesn't come down with a holy thumb and mush him into the ground Yes, he's swallowed by a fish. Yes, he's in, he gets on a boat and is you know, blamed for all of the terrible things happening on the boat in the sea. But God doesn't end his life. God doesn't take away. God actually shows his mercy and his restoration and his ability to uh, uh, preserve his life 
because he had a job for him to do and was not going to let Jonah's sin stand in the way. God relented and was merciful to Jonah. He was patient. I think our Heavenly Father is extremely patient with us. There's often times when he asks you, each one of you, to do something uh, for his purposes. And sometimes we go, yes, God, I'm in, and away we go. And then there's other times you're like, no way, I'm out. And I try and run. But we find, just like in the psalmist, where can I go from your presence? Where shall I hide? If I go over there, you're there. If I go in the dark, you're there. I can't flee from you at all, ever. God always gets his person. The hand of heaven is relentless. He gets his person because he's patient and he's kind and he's merciful. But here's what I also notice here. Is that God desires to save uh, more than he desires to destroy. I think that you and I oftentimes would rather see God's enemies destroyed than to come around to a place where they repent. Because our tensions with people in general tend to uh, uh, divide us and we're okay with that division and we would rather just see a world without them. But God's like, that's not how I work. I love what it says in the scriptures in the New Testament. It says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all should repent and have new life. All should come to receive him. And God is patient and wants to have all humanity come to a place where they receive him and are included in the family of God, even those that are our enemies. God pursues people out of his love. He doesn't want, his first response is not to destroy. His first response is to woo and to entice and to bring back and to do everything he can. Now, granted, there are some that will always resist him. There are some that are always going to be faithless and never, ever, ever. But God doesn't give up even to the end. And God is moved by our sorrow. God is moved by our repentance. And God is, is moved by our posture toward him. God relents. In a way, God, when he says he relented, he felt sympathy. He looked upon Nineveh and said, man, that's the kind of thing I'm looking for right there. You've got open hearts. You've got people who are remorseful over their sin, who don't want to see be, or to be overthrown and destroyed. This is the kind of people I can work with. God works with us when we are aware of our sin. When we go to him and say, search me, O Lord, and see if there's any wicked way within me. See if there's any offense inside of me. A people who is, are willing to lay themselves in front of God say, I know I have sinned and done what is wrong. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Come in. Retool this, this broken person. God feels compassion. God feels mercy. When we come to him in such a way, with such a posture, God is not one who's just going to go, yeah, I told you so, you doofus. He's not going to sit down and go, ha ha, well, you're going to get what you get and I'm tough. You better go back to your room. No, what he does instead is he says, oh, I'm so glad you're home. Come, come in. Let the past be the past. What you did was gone. What is already forgiven. I've taken care of that. Today is today. Let's enjoy it with each other. Let's party, in a sense. See, Jesus has cleared the way for us to approach the Father. It says in Hebrews that we now have nothing that can prevent us from going to the throne of grace. That we can go into his space and we can be with him because he has made all things new. 
So God is moved by, or moved to compassion by our response to his mercy. So what do we do with this? Well, there's a few things. One, I think you and I ought to be capable now to respond to God's call to bring the gospel of reconciliation with obedience rather than abandonment. There are going to be times, not always, but there may be times when we have the opportunity to share the good news with somebody, to say God loves you. And he's not angry anymore. And he's not, he's not uh, up there with a, a, a giant magnifying glass ready to burn you up. He's not there up there to, to, to enjoy watching your demise. Rather, he has poured out all the demise onto Jesus and he's included you in his family. Come be part of our community. Come be part of this new way of doing humanity, of new way of doing life. Come be a part of God's reconciling the world into himself. You are, can be a part of that. Just come. When that time comes, I pray that we would respond to God's mercy on other people with the same mercy that he has and to go. Don't run. Speak clearly and adopt God's posture of reconciliation. We are to be agents of reconciliation. Not only from, uh, you know, between maybe men and women, between cultures, between races, between political divides. We are to be agents of God's reconciliation no matter where we find ourselves. And God will often give us opportunity to do so. And let me say this. If you fail at it, don't worry. God will continue to press and get you. Okay? He'll constantly give you opportunity. Now, if Jonah had to go through some bad stuff, I pray that we don't have to go through that stuff either. I hope that if we say no right away, we go, oh, no, no, I meant yes. I hope that that's, we kind of get that. But secondly, I think we need to learn to be moved to compassion and reconciliation when enemies respond to God's uh, own reconciliation. I've experienced in the past um, year or two um, what it's like to have personal conflict that was so fracturous that it, it, it hardened my own heart towards reconciling with people, certain people. And it was the, the anti-posture that God had taken. And when these people, in a sense, turned around and were open to being reconciling, my first was like Jonah. And that was so wrong. And praise God that it, he turned my own heart around so that I could respond to them in the same mercy and, and compassion and openness to reconciliation that he had. That's the kind of thing that we ought to have. When our enemies or our perceived enemies turn over a new leaf and come into a space and say, I've changed, we ought to believe them and we ought to engage with them in a way that reflects that new reality that they're in. We ought to lay down our own weapons of warfare and be reconciled one to another. If God so loved us that he reconciled himself to us through Jesus, we ought to do the same thing with each other when there is conflict and strife, when there is dividing lines. We, because of what Jesus says for us to do, love your neighbor as yourself, that means reconcile where possible. And lastly, on a more personal level, 
I think we need to learn to engage God's gospel message with self-reflection. I think oftentimes God comes and speaks a word of judgment. And when I say judgment, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, from on high, the holy, you know, uh, judicial bench and gavel and the whole thing like guilty sinner. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that when God's light, his innocent soul candle goes wandering through the halls of our own soul. And he points out certain areas in our lives that need to be reconciled and need to be fixed. Then we don't try and blow out the candle. What I mean is that we ought to be like the Ninevites in this way and go, oh, woe to me. You're right, God. That's a space in me that is just needs fixing. Be willing and open uh, and humble enough to say, God, you're right. Man, that's a spot I did not see or that I've been hiding for a very long time. Would you come help me fix it? In a sense, put sackcloth and ashes over that and go, broken, broken, broken. And God's like, let me fix that. And through his time and space and, and patience and slow transformation, God will show compassion and mercy on you. Remember, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Let that be the one thing you take away from today. God is slow to anger, rich in mercy and compassion, and rich in love. God doesn't put out smoldering wicks. He fans them into flame. God doesn't take bruised reeds and smash them and and tear them off with his holy weed whacker. Tapes them up with that cool, you know, tape that you can get at the horticulture store. So they stand straight again and they're strong. God's in the rebuilding business, not the smash and extinguish business. He moves towards you with grace and mercy. And his, his posture towards you is love and compassion. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, examine your life this week. and See what God might have been calling you out on uh, to change so that you might become more like him. And secondly, if you've got... If you've got a relationship in your own world that is fractured, that is that is broken, that has created a dividing line and create and made somebody or other people, a group of people, an enemy. I think God wants us to change how we view them. Not as enemies, but as fellow people on the way that need to hear that they are loved and that we can move compassionately towards them rather than hoping for their destruction. This is God's word.